We do love making podcasts at 11FS, and you know, this isn't our only one. If you haven't checked out our sister podcast, InsureTech Insider, then hop to it because we've published some of our very best ever episodes over the last couple of months. From the future of work to the biggest industry in InsureTech news, there is a topic in there for about anybody who wants to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Head over now to ii.11fs.com, that is ii.11fs.com, to start listing or just search InsureTech Insider on your podcast provider. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and in today's show, we're going to be talking all about money and mental health. We typically do a show around this topic about this time every year, but I think with everything that's going on, it feels increasingly pressing to address this. Uh, With recent COVID outbreaks, both our finances and our mental health have been tested and strained in ways that we never really thought they would do before. In today's episode, we're going to look into the theme of money and mental health and how it is evolving in the context of the pandemic and the effects that this is having on us today as well. To help drive this topic, I'm going to be joined by some super awesome guests as always, making their Fintech Insider debuts. We have Nikki Bond, who is a Senior Research Officer and Money and Mental Health Policy Institute member uh, joining us. Thank you so much, Nikki. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, It is a busy time for you in this period, I imagine. There's uh, lots to talk about, lots to do. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, we're, we're really busy at the moment, um, just kind of responding to the pandemic and how that's impacting on people's money and mental health. So yeah, very busy for us. Timely and topic related as well. So uh, we'll get into that uh, much more as we go. Uh, and also joining us, we have Gary Evans, who is the Chief Innovation Officer over at OpenWorks and Chief Product Officer at Tully, as if one job wasn't enough for you, Gary. Yes, indeed. I'm uh, uh, not one to sit on my hands. always like to keep myself busy. Indeed. Well, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, last but by no means least, we have Jamie Clements, who is the executive here at 11FS and host of a really, really good podcast as well. Like Jamie, I've been loving the podcast, my friend, uh, Man Down, the Anti-Man Up Movement podcast. So, I mean, pause this right now and go and download that and check it out. It's really, really good. Some great stories from people that you have on, Jamie. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thanks, David. And thank you for the kind note on the podcast. It's good to be back on Fintech Insider. Well, it's, I mean, the podcast has been doing really well as well. Like it's, um, I see uh, and kind of make sure we're, we're sort of pushing things out there on social. But uh, I mean, this is a subject matter close to your heart, but a subject matter that's close to many people's ears, right? This is something that many people are struggling and dealing with, particularly in this period. So, I mean, the numbers and all of the engagement must have uh, gone through the roof. Yeah, it's been a bit of a, a, a crazy ride. I, I, started working on it at the start of this year and then ended up launching the first episode right in peak lockdown, which was partly because of the time I suddenly had on my hands, but also because it seemed like the right time to do it. And also I was able to get a hold of people that were were stuck indoors that maybe I wouldn't have been able to get a hold of before. So um, no, it's been amazing to see the response. And I think, as you said, like a really apt time for it to be coming out and, and starting those conversations and not just starting them, but continuing and, and standing on the shoulders of the great work that people have done before. Well, and as you say, I mean, this period and, you know, the the context of money, the context of the impact that it 
has always had on people's mental health has been really significant. You know, there's definite sort of correlation there between money troubles and, and, and sort of mental health. But I mean, what is that link? And is it stronger, do you guys think, than ever before? And sadly, I mean, not in a not in a positive way, you know, money difficulties during this period with loads and loads of people across the, the nation losing their jobs, job security being difficult. I mean, are we in a sort of a relatively, I, I don't want to use the word unprecedented because because it's getting banded around such uh, so significantly, but but Nikki, I mean, is this a is this an unprecedented period for the linkage between mental health and money worries? Yeah, hugely. I mean, um, obviously, we've been researching into the links between money and mental health since we started in 2016, and we obviously look at that relationship, how it goes both ways. That mental health problems can lead to financial difficulties, but how financial difficulties can always also lead to mental health problems. But I think what we're really seeing in, in the pandemic is uh, the huge increase in mental health problems and, and also the, the correlation of that with um, difficulties in managing finances. But what compounds that is, is the financial difficulties that are coming with the pandemic. So the being furloughed, the huge numbers of people uh, moving on to universal credit um, and, and dealing with all the forbearance measures that have been put in place by different uh, essential service providers. So it, it really is unprecedented times. Mm. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? With this there's almost sort of nowhere for people to find any element of sort of respite or sanctuary at this stage, is it? You know, in from a professional sense, everybody has uh, obviously trials and tribulations to go through. And then everybody has almost the most stressful period of, of their personal lives to sort of coincide with those things, at least usually in a, in a world where, you know, my professional life goes badly, I can turn to my personal life. And but with the stresses and strains on both of those, it's it's a really difficult period. I mean, Gary, what, what do you think is the is the overlap between these two types of problems when it comes to money and mental health sort of more of a single circle than ever before? It's almost like a vicious circle. I mean, the, I think the lockdown has caused its own problems. I think by the fact that you could have removed access to a lot of the support networks that are used to maintain good mental health. Uh, you kind of pile that on top of the fact that everyone's mental health is generally getting worse anyway because because of the financial difficulties that uh, so many people have been put into. It's, it's a really difficult time for everybody. Mm. What do you think then, Jamie? I mean, uh, as, a, as a person who spends a lot of time sort of thinking about this, I mean, is this a problem that's getting worse rather than better? I think sadly so. I don't I don't think there's really any way to sugarcoat it, unfortunately. I think, as Gary said, it's always been viewed as a bit of a vicious circle, a vicious cycle. Um, you know, whether you're starting from a position of, of mental health issues and getting yourself into money problems after that or starting with money problems and then that developing a mental health problem. Um, and I think as well, with lockdown, what we've seen for a lot of people on the mental health side of things is just all of those distractions, all of those things that you identify with, all of those things that you do to keep busy have been stripped away. And so all of a sudden you're faced with your thoughts and your demons and whatever else might be going on in your head. And again, then when we're thinking about the, the job market and the, you know, the recession that we're seeing, maybe even just the start of, um, it's more of those things that you have as, as part of your identity and part of your safety net are being taken away. So I think, yeah, it's unfortunately, um, I think probably not, we're probably at the tip, the tip of the iceberg. And, and I think we're probably only going to see things getting a little bit worse before they get better. Okay, as I said, it's, it's almost the most vulnerable in society that have been hit hardest with this. Um, yeah, I, so I, I've been sat at home. I've had two kids, six and four, at home with me throughout kind of the lockdown period. And 
my wife has taken the, the the lion's share of the load of homeschooling and I've got a garden. So, so you know, relatively speaking, it's been quite easy. But I do think of these kind of poor single parents who are stuck in high-rise flats uh, with kind of three kids and, and the, the impact that this lockdown has had on them and their mental health uh, is, is sort of orders of magnitude greater uh, than, than, than I've had. And, and it must be terrible for them. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like it is, I mean, as always, the negative effect of anything from a financial perspective seems to always hurt the people who need the most help first and, and most significantly. You know, we've seen very public campaigns around uh, trying to, uh, you know, for some households, provide periods of time where their reliance on just kids being able to eat hot meals at school have been taken away from them. So that extra level of sort of strains and stresses in this period must be really difficult to deal with. But I guess to your point, the I mean, we have been incredibly isolated more than ever before in this period of time. So is that, you know, social distance of where we actually have to, I mean, even an even more sort of crippling period of uh, time for, for sort of dealing with these things? Because very rarely would somebody be able to be in a situation to maybe know and feel self-aware enough to put their hand up and say, I really need help. But when you're in a period where you can't even see or speak to your friends, then somebody would probably be able to kind of see these signs in, in people. So, I mean, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, I don't think this is just, and you guys correct me where you're wrong. Like, I'm going to be as ignorant as you like during this, but please correct me where I'm going wrong here. But I kind of feel like mental health isn't just when somebody's like at rock bottom. It isn't when people are like out of complete control and don't know what to do. Definitely it is that. But I think there's such a stigma with mental health that it's like, you know, when you say a mental health problem, people are like, well, what, you know, you you had a breakdown. There was a thing. It was like, but it's not that. It's like actually how different people deal with their own mental health on a day-to-day basis and deal with the trials and tribulations of, of work and the stresses that that brings and the dealing with, you know, pressures of all different times. That's something that everybody in the world is dealing with, isn't it? This isn't just a poor and fortunate few who who really have significant mental health problems. Mental health is something that affects everybody. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. And I think um, I think I'm right in saying that the theme for World Mental Health Day this this or next month, sorry, in October, is we all have mental health. And I think it's that messaging that's changed probably in the last five years ish years i'd say um from associating mental health with severe mental illness and actually making it more a case of this is a spectrum this is a a continuum that we all sit on it's not just a case of when you get to that point but where are you right now on that scale and how can you help yourself and manage your mental health so that you don't find yourself sliding further down that spectrum down that scale um which is, you know, it's difficult. And as you say, it takes a level of, of self-awareness. And and this period has really pushed people to, I think, actually think about where they are on that spectrum. But for a lot of people who maybe don't have that level of self-awareness as well, have, have found themselves sliding down quite quickly and not really knowing how to manage it. So I think it's been, you know, I think everyone's aware that it's been a, a really trying period. But um, yeah, just getting away from that stigma and association of mental health just being something that happens at, you know, your breaking point, um, as I think is is going to be important, even more important going forward, um, so that people understand that it's not just something that, that happens at that point, but actually something that you need to be mindful of um, throughout your life, whether you're in a good place or not. Yeah. I mean, uh, why, why do you think that stigma has been sort of built up, Nikki? Because I guess it's, 
you know, the way in which this subject matter has been handled, which has sort of led to that, you know, them and us type narration of like, if we can just help people, if we can, but actually like to, to Jamie's point, mental health and a, awareness of your own uh, health is exactly the same whether it's psychological or physiological, isn't it? Like, so if you stood up and you're, you know, you couldn't stand, you know, you tried to stand up and your legs failed, you would identify with that and be able to communicate it really easily to people. It's like, for some reason, this leg isn't working. But actually, when it's a mental health thing, people struggle to sort of self, uh, self-identify self or, or create that self-awareness. Why, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think... I think we've made huge strides forward in in recent years. You know, there's been high profile campaigns, like I think it's Time to Change, that have really raised raised awareness of our mental health, um, but also raised awareness of mental health problems too. And and, and as Jamie says, that kind of spectrum. Um, But I think uh, some bits that probably haven't received quite as much much, um, focus over with those kind of anti-stigma campaigns as, as pe- people with severe mental illness and kind of the problems that people with severe mental illness might face. I also think the stigma that when we think about mental health problems, you know, w- we think about those serious mental illnesses rather than lots of the common mental health problems like anxiety and depression that one in four of us will experience at some point during our lives. So I think there's lots of progress been made in challenging those. Um, but certainly thinking about sort of a lot of the work that we do about the links between money and mental health and how um, uh, the cognitive and psychological effects of our mental health problems can impact on our ability to manage our finances. I think there's a real lack of awareness around that. And and that's something that we're constantly trying to strive towards and and, and kind of raise awareness of really, um, so that people can protect themselves really and, and kind of have that awareness of those links. Yeah. And and is that, um, I mean, in part, this is education, Right. You know, actually, I mean, again, I'm going to be I'm going to play my super practical Yorkshireman card, which is like, actually, if I look at the insurance industry, they realized, you know, about 10 years ago that preventative measures are far more successful at dealing with things than than actually waiting for, you know, Norfolk to flood, which is where I live, by the way. So I'm very aware and very worried about floods at all given times. So actually, you know, being in a situation where people are much more aware of their own limitations and actually what their uh, their triggers actually are for these things and actually the systems and the processes of the ways that they deal with things and being able to understand that everybody is fundamentally different. Like that feels like a lack of education, really, in terms of where that comes. And there's so few people that I think really have a good level of self-awareness to to reflect on them and their behaviours and what happens, that it becomes almost a, a, a self-fulfilling spiral, doesn't it, in terms of that setup? So, I mean, why do you think we're at a, and, a, and I appreciate these are very big questions, that we're not going to, uh, spoiler alert, guys, we're not going to solve this on this podcast in the next like 20 minutes. Uh, but I think actually having these discussions are really important because it's like there just isn't enough dedicated education for you know everybody but starting from really really young ages of actually how to deal with pressure and stresses and strains you know and this isn't i don't think it's just a people who don't have money perspective i think we've actually seen i mean professional football is a really good example of like just because you got money doesn't mean your mental health gets any better like people who win the lottery don't suddenly become a uh, a beacon for good mental health you know actually uh, too much and too little can be bad as, as well in in many instances. But I mean, Gary, wh- why do you think uh, it seems like a 
underinvested educational pillar that actually really should be coming through in the same sense that you know mathematics and science should be that's a really interesting question so i think you're right i think the i think the amount of education put into kind of mental well-being and kind of mental health is certainly lacking kind of physical health and to nutrition and those other things that, are, that have become much bigger over the last 10 years but actually i i also agree with nikki that i think the cultural shift to think about mental health as something that is normal has been massive over the last few years. You, you kind of look at the some of the things that kind of Prince Harry's done, some of the things, you know, people like Freddie Flintoff have been kind of very kind of very high profile people in in the media who have normalized depression and anxiety and eating disorders. But then interestingly I think then death is still a dirty word. So, so I think the link between kind of mental health is okay. You, you, you're allowed now to have a mental health problem and talk about it, and, and people are sympathetic and they and they want to hear. And, and, and whilst we're not the finished article, there's still a lot of work to be done, and as you say, there's a lot of education to do. I think we're getting there, but I think debt is different. I think it's a harder discussion to have. Uh, what we've heard from tele members uh, regularly is that they don't want to tell their family or friends what's going on because um, they're ashamed. They're also sometimes uh, afraid. Uh, of what will happen if they kind of admit to the problems they've got. And, and if they, they do say anything, they're worried that it'll be taken as a request for financial assistance. So this isn't a, I've got a problem, please please kind of help me with my mental health problem of oh, I'm really struggling with, with this anxiety over debt. It's if I ask you, if I tell you I've got a debt problem, I'm asking you for money. Uh, and again, the vast majority of people that we've had come through Tully hate the idea of being a charity case. Or, or kind of having to beg or, or, or taking money off other people. So I think there's a distinction for me between kind of mental health in general, which is now acknowledged as, as, a, as a kind of general problem in the population and something we need to be kind of really sympathetic with and, and try to deal with, and debt, which is still something that, to be a bit ashamed of. Uh, and, and obviously that's, that's not the case, but I think that's still the perception. Mm. Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because the people never really understand the context of how somebody has got into debt. All they see is the debt and the the sort of shunning, as you say, from a societal perspective that really sort of comes with those things. And that, that really has changed in other walks of life, isn't it? I mean, it wouldn't be uh, accepted if somebody was uh, looking to lose weight that actually they were like shunned from a societal perspective because they were attempting to, to sort of better themselves in those ways. And I find, um, I mean, there are some instances of, of forums where people are very open about these, you know, Money Saving Expert is a good example of that, where people feel very comfortable sharing their story in the context of being able to, you know, right those wrongs and kind of get into a, a good place. But I guess there's there's a certain thing there is like people have been conditioned to try and hide these things because they're used against them and not just used against them from a uh, purely on a, you know, mates down the pub setup, but large financial institutes will, will kind of penalize you for prior wrongdoing because of actually how risk-based processes are set up and 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 that's that's really difficult right because that that's what adds to that spiral of difficulty is you know you get into a bad situation and then actually you can't get out of that situation without really sort of turning to more and more extreme forms of credit so it's um it is a it is a very difficult thing to be able to address but i think like you said i think with like with any problem it has to always start with a conversation or an understanding of what that problem really is. But Jamie, I don't know if you want to sort of tune in there, but do we need specific ways to address this in this specific period of time? 
I mean, the hardest thing that I find with everything that's happening with COVID right now from my mental health perspective is I can compartmentalize anything and I can deal with a period of high stress if I know it's a period of high stress. This seems like infinity to, to go through. And is that is that a, a really difficult thing that many people are facing into, do you think? I think so. And I think as well, it's this um, combination of a very personal experience of you as an individual going through this time and being isolated or being um, or having difficulties with your finances or whatever it might be, and also a completely global pandemic and a global situation that you're going through. So it's sort of this double whammy of you're surrounded by anxiety, whether you're looking at the newspaper or you're listening to the news, whatever it might be, you're sort of being slapped in the face with it on a daily basis, but you're also experiencing a, a very unique individual set of circumstances that have been presented by this. So I think it's, yeah, it's uh, unprecedented to, to come back to that word, um, unfortunately. Um, so Look, I think we're we're all sort of learning as we go with this. I think that's you know the, the nature of it being so unprecedented is we we don't know what's going to come next, and we actually don't know how long this is going to run for. So um, I do think there are going to be you know things that we learn for better or for worse from this, but there's definitely going to be severe mental health implications and also financial implications so there's definitely going to need to be some kind of increased support or stepping up from the government or whoever it might be to provide additional support because um i think we're yet to see the full effect on on both mental and financial you know issues for for everyone yeah i mean it does it does feel like the again societally it feels like the ramifications and repercussions of, of of COVID and actually the lockdown period and, you know, just purely on people's mental health in that front. I mean, this is going to be decades of issues being caused, which actually, again, from a, a, a workplace, a societal place. I mean, Nikki, do you think employers have a different challenge is probably not the right word in the way that, uh, you know, unprecedented is, is not the right word. But does this offer a different opportunity potentially for employers to engage with their employees in a completely different way during this period? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think similar as, as with attitudes towards mental health, I, I think we've seen attitudes towards mental health within the workplace change considerably over the, over the last few years, particularly in big companies. But we still know that people with mental health problems have lower average incomes um, than, than those without. Um, we published a piece of research just last week, I think it was, that shows that people with common mental disorders like anxiety and depression have incomes of, of just two thirds, those that people that don't have um, mental health problems. So people are on lower average incomes, but also they have less, less they're in more financial precarity and less savings to, to fall back on. Um, so People with mental health problems are really in a really difficult position. And I think employers can really step up to market um, and, and support people um, who are in employment to retain their jobs um, and, and kind of really engage with those barriers to, to remaining in employment um, that, that people face. Things like kind of flexibility, uh, working from home, adjusting working patterns and, and those sorts of things. Um you know, we are going into a huge time of unemployment um, and we really need to, to um, see that people with mental health problems are disproportionately negatively disadvantaged um, into the next phase of, of this that we go into. 
Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? And I think your the statistics from the report really evidence that. And actually, not only the impact that one has on the other, but the cycle of negativity that that really sort of brings out. So it was eighty six percent of the respondents to uh, the survey. So there's five and a half thousand people in the survey with. Uh, people who experienced mental health problems said that their financial situation had made their mental health problems worse. And 72% uh, to the respondents said that their mental health had made their financial situation worse. So it's like that cycle of like one and affecting the other and that downward spiral is, is really, really significant. All right, we're going to have to take a break. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to look up another word other than unprecedented. Back in a second. This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by MyTech. Combining the world's best forensic experts with industry's most advanced technology, only MyTech delivers bank-grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing risk, fraud, and costs. Discover more at mytechsystems.com. This episode is also brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They are reviving the vision of financial institutions by being on a first-name basis with their customers, offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that really puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility, while your employees get cloud-based core-connected tools to offer service really at the moment of need. To learn more and explore the team's latest insights, head over to jackhenrydigital.com. Do you follow 11FS on LinkedIn? If you don't, well, you probably should by now, shouldn't you? We make video content over there that you don't want to miss out on. And we're starting not one, but two new live shows. On Tuesdays, we're going to be diving into the biggest industry news stories. And on Thursdays, we'll be grilling some of the biggest experts in financial services on really what they do for a living. You'll have the chance to ask your own questions and get them answered live on the shows by some of the best minds in the industry. Find out more by heading over to the 11FS LinkedIn page now. Okay, and we are back with the second part. I mean, so I don't want to keep going over this ground, but, and and this is a personal question. I haven't prepped you guys in any way asking for this at all. So like everybody's looking a bit scared on the Zoom straight away. But like, how do you guys manage your mental health? Like, what are the things that you guys do on a day-to-day basis to think about your mental health? Because Everybody has a trigger that they see in themselves sometimes. But I mean, Jamie, what what do you do? I mean, uh, 11FS, we're quite a high octane organization, right? We were, were busy all the time. How do you manage your mental health at work? I think um, it's it's very broad. And I think everyone has their own interpretation of, of what this would mean. But for me, it's hinged so much on self-awareness and actually becoming aware of when my mental health is sliding down that scale and when I'm feeling, you know, the early stages of maybe being a bit burnt out or being a bit overwhelmed, you know, I, I have a lot, you know, I have 11 FS, I have the podcast, I have different bits and pieces going on. There's a lot going on. So for me, it's always been a case of just spotting the signs as early as possible. And through that, actually being able to address it and then take steps to slow things down and look at my what is now a very busy diary and take things out if I need to. And actually just that management of my own energy and not even talking about energy in a sort of woo woo sense, talking about very physical energy. Like this is my petrol tank. This is how much is in it. If I feel it going down too far, I need to stop. And so just being able to identify those, those signs and those triggers, which for me are just things like exhaustion and I get quite jittery almost like I've had too many coffees like that for me is the number one sign so if it's something like that I just look at 
what I've got in front of me for the week ahead, address that, and then um, also just dial up the self-care. So hours slept, less beers drunk, um, more meditation, more breath work, whatever it might be, like simple tools. I think you learn to build up like a, a bit of a toolbox, a bit of a toolkit of things that you know work for you, which again comes from that self-awareness. So um, it's not a, a particularly precise answer, but there are, are lots of things that all sort of stem back to just having a good understanding of how I'm actually feeling, which is I think is easier said than done. Yeah, completely. And 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 look, there's no there's no like cheat code for life, right? So and actually everybody's everybody's process is going to be completely different to everybody else's. But what uh, it's finding what works for you, isn't it, Gary? Sorry to spring this on you, but um, I mean, how how do you manage your own mental health? Well, for, for me, it's exercise. Um, exercise and, and fresh air are the two things that make me feel better. Um, so when um, uh, recently we we came back from uh, from a holiday and we had a quarantine. So we quarantined for 14 days and being stuck in the house for 14 days uh, as a family of four, um, I, I really felt my mental health struggling. And towards the back end of that 14 days, I was grumpy um, and I was not so pleasant to be around. Um, and um, I know the kids are back at school. Um, that's obviously part of it. Uh, but, but, um, but being able to walk them to school, um, uh, one, of, one, of the, one, of the, one of the great advantages of, of working from home is that I now can spend a lot more time with the family when the work-life balance is better uh, and I find walking them to school and then going for a stroll afterwards there's amazing things for my mental well-being uh, so I always try and do uh, at least at least a two-mile walk uh, a day uh, rain or shine and uh, getting out into the fresh air makes me feel great uh, if I can squeeze a run or a, or a, or a go at the gym as well then uh, even better. And that's an interesting one isn't it particularly in this period I think my my Apple Watch has given up telling me it's time to stand up because it just thinks <laughs> I'm I'm basically not moving at all. So like, it, 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 and that you know, given exercise is such a cathartic thing for a lot of people in terms of that de-stressor, then so many more people are, are not getting that level of exercise, are they? A little bit more, like you say, with the the, the kids and walking them to school. But uh, you know, my steps are definitely not what they were when I was sort of stomping around London. But uh, that's that's an interesting one, Nikki. Uh, what, what do you do to sort of manage your own mental health? Uh, similar to what uh, Gary and Jamie have spoke about, I, I suppose for me, exercise is key. Um, and I have to say, I probably really felt my mental health dip when we first kind of went into lockdown and kind of that change from being out and about and really getting your steps up and then kind of to being practically sedentary. Um, I, I really struggled with that. Um, so exercise is key. But I also think just being aware of kind of how I'm feeling and if you're getting agitated more quickly more easily um but you know kind of I suppose returning to the question you asked earlier about what employers can do you know I really like my employer is great in, in, in that they really do kind of respond to how we are we've got quite a lot of flexibility in how we work and how we want to work you know often I'll go for a run in the middle of the day just to get out and, and get a change of scene so yeah I think it's about self-awareness, but it's also about being fortunate enough to have kind of employers that are quite responsive to that and, and give you the flexibility to kind of manage your mental health as you see fit. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Different exercise uh, conversations that I've had, exercise comes up a lot with people because it's a a f- different focus. I've started doing that personally. I mean, there's many, Jamie, apologize if I ever turn up to a meeting uh, with you at 11FS where I've done this, but it's like half an hour on an exercise bike before you know, a reset in the middle of the day. 
I mean, I turn up. So it's like one of the benefits of working remotely is like you can see me sweating, but you can't, you know, get all of your senses being abused by uh, by it. But but being in a situation where it's like actually that in the middle of the day just resets what you're doing or dealing with. And there seems to be a real correlation for a lot of people. You know, we all sort of mentioned a bit of exercise or change of focus or change of like those things seem to be sort of consistent with how people deal with it but sadly we all work with computers but we're not computers you know there is no software upgrade that works for everybody in this sense that works for you know everybody's mindset and and sort of feelings but i mean taking it back to financial services i mean there's more and more financial products that are being established now for um, awareness of these matters and awareness of, of actually how to put the controls or the processes really in place. I mean, do you think it's affecting, obviously, you know, Gary from, from Tully's perspective, yes, but actually do you think more and more people are making decisions around the financial products that they, they're using with these things in mind? I, I, maybe a little. I, I think that wave is yet to come. Um, so I think that certainly the direction of travel that the FCA are going in uh, and the Financial Ombudsman Service as well is really pushing creditors to think about how they can be responsible and how they can uh, really evaluate affordability properly before putting people in circumstances they can't manage. And I think that along with that, you have the ability to empower consumers as well to become confident borrowers. So, so I think a lot of this starts with knowledge. And as soon as you get to a place where the consumer goes into an agreement with a creditor, fully understanding what their situation is and what the impact on that situation will be of taking on this credit product, then one half of the deal is a good one. Uh, and then it's down to the creditor then to make sure that they're evaluating the same thing and going, Do you know what, we both go into this agreement knowing that you want it and you can afford it and I'm confident you can repay me that then is a good credit agreement that should go forward. And I think at the moment, there are so many credit agreements and creditors out there who are accepting people and, and giving them money when they can't afford to pay it back. And whilst in the, in the very short term, that solves a problem for the consumer because they either need it for something or they want it for something, in the long term, it just makes the situation worse. Which is where kind of telephone advice kind of came on of actually, do you know what? If if you are in trouble, don't get more credit, get debt advice. Um, and I think creditors are getting far better and far more aware of this now. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're we're increasingly moving from a societal perspective to, I mean, consumerism is cool, right? It's like uh, people want things immediately, and uh, you know they don't really want to worry about the the painful part, which is uh, how you sort of deal with it. And obviously, that I mean, there are significant companies that are coming under pressure with these things you know players like Klarna as an example I think are coming under a lot of pressure uh, where they're maybe not being fully uh, transparent with the fees or how they're they're being positioned with people so I mean do you think the 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 pressure for sort of fair consumerism is is going to be there even more you know obviously financial promotions are always having to be scrutinized in terms of actually their clarity and their understanding and actually financial services has been littered for a, you know for decades with acronyms that nobody really ever understands like don't get me started on whether people think apr is good or bad it's higher <laughs> um so you know is this an evolution of that to go okay you know sort of customers need to be able to understand what they're getting into and how they're getting into it. Where, where do you think that responsibility sort of sits, Nikki? Because, you know, one 
I mean, the regulator obviously has to be the referee in this situation, but surely it's good business to make sure that your uh, customers can actually pay that debt back purely from a financial perspective. If they lend the money and they can't give it back, that sounds like a pretty bad business, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, it's in companies' interest that customers understand what they're getting into. Um, but I think traditionally, there's just been um, the agreements that people get into it can be so opaque and difficult to understand. And and that's for everybody. I, I think, you know, they're quite hard to understand, but for people who might be struggling with their mental health. So um, some of the effects of mental health problems like difficulties concentrating or clarity of thought or problem solving or memory can all make understanding those agreements that you're taking out all the more tricky. Um, and I think um, we, we've seen financial services take huge strides forward in this in, in kind of recent years. Um, and a lot of focus has been on, on kind of supporting customers in vulnerable circumstances and, and people with mental health problems. But I think there's still a long way to go, um, particularly if you think about products from, we, we need to think about how those products serve people right from the design phase through to the use stage. And and I think there's huge progress that needs to take place there. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's it's like, um, you know, uh, you know, the tobacco industry being in a situation where we're asking them to do a, you know, a a kind and careness for like, you know, lung cancer awareness. You know, it's it's really difficult, isn't it? Because if your core business model is lending and actually, I mean, Jamie, we've talked about this a lot at 11FS, but fundamentally the thing that fintech is really struggling with right now is it's actually very well-meaning, but the lending part hasn't caught up. Therefore, most people are pointing at it going, well, it's yeah, but it's not making billions of pounds yet, so I don't care. When it's like, yeah, but if your core business model is getting people into to debt, then actually is that the type of evolution that we really sort of want to sort of see? So, I mean, how, how do we sort of break that spiral, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of how the banks are there to, what they're there really there to do, you know? And actually, is that a fair thing to put on the banks? Because, you know, given it is your core business model, then um, it's hard to sort of beat you up for something that actually is what you're there to do. Yeah, and I think maybe without going into the depths of sort of, society that i think there's conversations to be had around the business model if that's the case if you're building a business that 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 is the the model where you're actually profiting from people getting themselves into debt then why why are we allowing that to actually be a business um and i think that's where i think we've let that grow and let that happen and I don't think it's necessarily fair to put all of the blame on the businesses because it's just been how businesses have run and how businesses have been allowed to progress. Um, so I do think there's this really sort of strange point where we're, we're asking them to take more responsibility. But as you said, with the tobacco example, um, that's been their business for so long and we've allowed them to do it. So why were, why would we now sort of suddenly turn around and, and beg them to to stop. Um, and yeah, I was, I was listening to a really interesting podcast earlier um, about tech addictions and, and big tech and sort of saying, well, when Facebook was started, it wasn't started with the idea of getting little Johnny more friends. It was started with the idea of turning you into a user and a piece of data that they can then almost use you as the product. And can we really expect those companies to take almost like a sort of Hippocratic oath to do no harm like we do with doctors um, when it's a, you know, it's a 
revenue driven business. I think it's a really tough balance to then start asking these businesses that we've allowed to progress as, as they have to to do that. It's a mm. yeah, it's a tough one. Well, and I guess from an employer's perspective as well, it's it's a difficult balancing act for many you know, big employers, because uh, for it not to be treated like carbon offsetting, do you know what I mean? Like every organization who's pumping, you know, terrible things into the atmosphere sort of plants a few trees and feels slightly better about it. But actually it requires, you know, more, man, we're using the word societal a lot in this one as well. Uh, I, I really feel like a bingo card at the beginning of this podcast would have probably <laughs> had a lot of people yelling out, wouldn't it? But um, but it does feel like a, an element of uh, societal change around actually, Nikki, to your point, you know, particularly in this period, this the working patterns, working processes. Um, you know, I've been saying a lot of people to a lot of people, it's like fit work around life, not the other way around in this period, because like your kids, like they're only there for this period of time you know this is the bizarrely the greatest period of time i've spent with my children because they've been here and i haven't been you know off gallivanting around other places doing other things so actually how do you maximize the opportunity of that and the benefit of that in this period but i mean is this unfair nikki do you think is it unfair to lay this on financial services feet and actually is it more uh, again when we go back to education it's like well, from an educational perspective, people need to be in a situation where they can really understand all of the, you know, the the, the bear traps that actually can sort of uh, lay out in front of them, unless they really have awareness of, of where those business models really can trip them up. I think like with most things, it, it's not, um, it either falls at the feet of financial services, or it falls in, in the kind of financial education uh, domain entirely. Um, I, I think financial services have a huge role to play in here. You know, we are becoming more and more savvy consumers. You know, we're making decisions about the products that we choose and the organizations that we or the companies that we buy things from uh, based on lots of things around their kind of social responsibilities and how they live up to those. So I think it's in their interest, too. Um, you know, we get lots of brand loyalty based on their, people's uh, adherence to kind of their social value. So, you know, it really does work. And, you know, it's not sufficient just to say that, this is down to you to be an informed, savvy consumer, um, because actually not everybody has the um, is, is able to do those things for all sorts of reasons. And um, one of which be, being kind of different mental health problems or, or different kind of things impacting on their capabilities. Um, and I really I really think it's a pretty compelling argument that um, financial services sort of step up to the plate. And we, we have seen them do so. And they are make they have made huge strides forward. But like I said, th- th- there's still a huge way to go. Yeah. And and who, um, I mean, who particularly do you think in organisations sort of have to pick up this mantle? Because, you know, I mean, we, again, are not wanting to um, to sort of talk it down at all, but we've seen, you know, banks come out and talk about um, diversity inclusion for as long as I can remember banks talking about anything. And actually, banks talking about mental health, actually, you don't want these things just to be fashionable things that people talk about this has to be something that people meaningfully do something about right but that isn't just the ceo of a bank is it it's it's actually everybody within that organization uh having understanding but also how they build products as well mm-hmm. i think it start you know it start it has to come from top down to begin with um but i i 
it also needs building into the policies and procedures. And, and I don't think it's sufficient just to kind of blame different kind of staff within within different organisations, so collection staff that they don't deal with customers correctly. It, people need to be trained and be given the skills and be invested in to be able to understand these issues and, and how money and mental health might be related and how uh, people's mental health might impact on their ability to earn or manage money. Um, so, so it needs to be fed through and it needs to be core to the business model rather than being kind of a tag on so yeah that that's kind of uh, where i see the, see the responsibility sitting yeah i mean jamie obviously with what you do in the 11fs pulse team you spend a lot of time looking at journeys i mean how much of a responsibility do you think i mean even down to user experience designers have within fintechs and financial services organizations to shape these things responsibly because it's it's a difficult one isn't it i can make a i can make a you know a five minute account opening process a three minute account opening process if i don't give you all the information right so uh, and similarly to your point gary it's like look miss selling is definitely been a thing the fca have got very upset about it numerous times so i mean jamie do you put the emphasis on that end as well I think, um, yeah, as, as Nikki said, I think it's it's definitely going to be a, a top-down thing to begin with. But, yeah, it, it needs to also be a case of bottom-up. And, and you're absolutely right. I think fintechs and, yeah, looking at, at user journeys most of my days, um, fintechs obviously pride themselves on creating the most frictionless, the least clicks, the least screens, whatever the metric is. Um, there's been some great data pulled on that by, by people in the industry. And that seems to be the measure of success. But this isn't a, um, you know, it's not a social network. It's not a, a, a simple game sign up. It's, it's a financial product. And it's something that is a big part of people's entire lives so whether we should be priding ourselves on making that as quick and frictionless as possible is is potentially something that needs to be looked at um and to come, yeah to come back to the original question i think certainly some of the, the designers and product owners that i've spoken to do have that on their radar i think it's quite a new thing but i think there is a, a, a sense of okay speed is good um number of clicks being being lower is is good but we need to be doing the right thing and taking responsibility ourselves to make sure. And I think for a lot of the fintechs, especially it's a, it's a matter of brand um, value. I think these brands build such a strong brand that if they do anything to damage that through design or through uh, customer harm, whatever it might be, that is really, really harmful for them. So I think there is definitely a case of, of it being more pressing for the designers to make sure they're not only making the quickest possible journey but also doing it in the right way and presenting all of the information they need to yeah no I, I definitely subscribe to that i think i mean increasingly in this age i think nikki you touched on it a little bit a second ago but people want to buy into brands that they feel go about business in the right way right so i mean gary this has got to be a, a thing that will increase across bigger and bigger organizations is i mean you, you're not what you you know, this isn't about how much above the line marketing you spend anymore. Do you you fundamentally are what you do all the time, right? So, uh, I mean, do you think that will? Uh, it's almost customer demand led at that state. Um, you know, we've seen backlashes from against people like Amazon for working practices for their employees. We've seen you know some uh, unscrupulous views on how financial services things are set up. Be you know took really badly by, from a public perspective and by a behavior changing. So, Gary, do you think this will be something that people will 
buy into, as it were, in terms of, uh, you know, really voting with their money? I think it's difficult for some people. So, so I think when it comes to your own money, I think price is always going to be the biggest factor that will decide where you go. Um, and, and it's hard to, you know, what price are your morals and your principles? And it's typically people who have money who can afford to go, I'm not going to go there. They're cheaper, but actually they, they do things in a way I'm not, I don't find appropriate. So I'm not going to shop there. Or I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to buy that. Um, I think sadly, the people towards the bottom end of the demographic scale have to go and where their money will stretch the furthest. And so I think we're further away from that now. Uh, and I almost need to drive the change for everybody um, from a regulatory and kind of law perspective rather than expect them to do it themselves. You know, there are brands who act very ethically and try and do everything right. But if they're a little bit more expensive because they do those things, then the people who have no money will still use them because that's the cheapest way to get access to the things you need to survive. If, sorry, if I can just quickly jump in on that. I think it's, it's a great point. I think it's almost akin to a lot of other industries. If you look at sustainable fashion, sustainable brands more generally, they're expensive. I think the brands that are doing the right thing, unfortunately, tend to have to have a higher price tag. And I think we're seeing the same in financial services. And I think that especially, as Gary said, and as Nikki pointed out with some of the, the stats around mental health and, and people on lower incomes, I think that is part of the, the big problem. But interestingly, I think the thing with financial services is it doesn't need to be that way. Because actually with financial services, I come back to your kind of uh, your tobacco industry example. And the tobacco industry, smoking is bad for you. So, so we're asking the tobacco industry to say, don't use my product. I don't think that's the same with financial services. I think financial services is, is about kind of selling your product appropriately and responsibly. And if you have the right data to understand whether someone can afford to pay you back and you use that, then actually there should not be any real difference between a high street bank and a payday lender. The same calculation should happen. Can you afford to pay me back? And if you can afford to pay me back, then why should I be charging you 100, 200, 300% APRs? Because you can afford to pay me back. I think the, the, the days of um, using someone's credit score to define whether they should be given credit has to ha- have to end because credit score is simply a, an historic view of, of affordability uh, for the most part. The number of people who are actively trying to avoid paying people back is really low, uh, and it's all about affordability. So if you had a default four years ago because you were in a difficult situation, you had no affordability, and you're fine now, you should be assessed upon what your affordability is today. And if you are assessed today and your affordability is fine, you shouldn't be penalised for having a tough time four years ago. And that's kind of the way the industry works today. And that's the big thing for me that has to change. Yeah. And look, in a digital world, then actually our potential to understand those triggers and that data more effectively than ever should be upon us, right? I remember, I mean, I worked at a big bank from 2008 to 2012, don't ask me why I joined a big bank at the beginning of the financial crisis. It just looked like it'd be fun. Um, but um, but the um, you know I think even back then something like six or seven percent of the loan applications were coming after about eleven o'clock at night, uh, and I think it was three percent were coming from mobile. This was in 2012 when there was no mobile application, and I'm like, actually, that is a sign of distress. You know, actually, right. if you're if you're up and you're 
looking for lending, looking to borrow uh, at that, it, almost if you're willing to put up with that bad of an experience, you're uh, you're showing signs of desperation to a, a sign. And actually, that's where I think digital can do so much more to flag those things and actually make it uh, an opportunity. I go back to my point earlier on, Nikki. Uh, this is not if it's not just because it's the right thing to do then surely this makes better business sense to not get people into situations where they default so dramatically because actually that just doesn't make any sense from an investment perspective of your business to be associated with that or deal with those defaults. So, I mean, digital should be an opportunity to unlock a better way of supporting people. What do you think, Nikki? Yeah, hugely. Um, I think there's huge opportunities um, to give people a bit of control back um so that within the digital forum so you know there's lots of ideas around kind of um giving people the ability to freeze payments on their cards or block spending at specific times like like you're just talking about or restricting spending on certain merchant codes you know we've seen that already done with gambling but kind of expanding some of those solutions out uh, to really give people back control P- people are experts in themselves and and you know, when well or when not in the the crisis of, of a mental health crisis, um, you know, people can think about things that they want to put in place, those preventative measures to prevent harm to themselves. We really need firms to be stepping up and, and, and developing those solutions so people can protect themselves when well for times when they're less well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are, there are a, a lot of steps, as you say, uh, and actually a lot of new features, new capabilities that are coming through. But it really feels like it's the tip of the tip of the iceberg, doesn't it? It feels like so much more can and and will be done. And and hopefully as we sort of go through towards the end of this year, um, you know, things get a little bit better on the COVID side of things and we get some good news, hopefully at some point. But the controls and the opportunities, you know, I mean, I feel like we've got decades of opportunity to, to really sort of support people uh, in a much more sustainable way in terms of what it is i completely agree with you gary i don't think financial services is evil and i don't think it's as as um significant as like you say it's like tobacco is just bad for you the end financial services actually can be a a a massive enabler for people if it's really understood and really put to the right use um jamie just to sort of close us off on that i mean do you think there is more and more that we can do from a technological perspective i think so um i think you know i was thinking right at the top of the show with my my opening remarks that it was all a bit doom and gloom and i think there's definitely hope i think both from a technological perspective and also from a societal perspective because as we all know and we've covered like the conversation is so much more open and so much more um so much less stigmatized than it used to be i think gary said earlier like there is definitely still work to be done around the debt conversation i think that's still something that is stigmatized but there's definitely hope because more and more people are having these conversations around mental health and it's getting into um employers it's getting into employees as well so we're getting that top down and bottom up um approach and then from from the tech side of things those those people who are having those conversations are now building those products so that i think there's definitely a degree of hope around the people who are actually creating these products and companies like tully companies like tuku doing amazing things and actually starting this wave of of socially responsible um businesses and and people doing the right things for the right right reasons um 
and I'm just really interested, you know, to, to see what comes next, because I do think there's a lot of ambition, um, but ambition being pointed in the right direction. So uh, definitely, definitely hopeful um, to see what comes next. Oh, that's good. I mean, the uh, the road to opportunity always starts with awareness, doesn't it? And I think uh, increasingly more and more people are, are really aware of actually limitations in themselves and also opportunities to uh, engage with capability or services to sort of help that. But uh, I think we could probably talk about this one. I mean, in conclusion, like COVID's been terrible, hasn't it, guys? Like, it really, it just seems to have affected everything and, and your mental health is not escaped it, unfortunately. But uh, And on that note, uh, we better wrap up today's show. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me. Uh, Jamie, let's start with you. Where can people learn a little bit more about you? Uh, yeah, I'm on on all social channels as, as Jamie Clements, Instagram at Jamie Clements underscore, uh, and the Man Down podcast on all podcast platforms as well. Very good. How about you, Nikki? Uh, so, yeah, you can see our website at moneyandmentalhealth.org or our Twitter handle at M-M-H-P-I or me I'm Nick Bond one on Twitter very good Gary uh, openworks.com uh, the place to come to uh, to find out a bit more about what we do uh, or tully.co.uk uh, and I am Gary Evans on LinkedIn for the best place to find me very good and as for me you can find me on Twitter at David Breer uh, thank you very much for listening to the show today if you have liked what you've heard subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review really helps other people find the show as well as always if you want to join the conversation or just hit us up with a comment you can find us on pretty much every social media at this stage or podcasts at 11fs.com hope you enjoyed the show and thank you very much for listening goodbye